pull message for you today, so I do not have a passage of Scripture as such for you to turn to. Um, As we step into this next year, I'd like us to do so with a perspective. The beginning of 2021, or 2020, excuse me, I preached a New Year's message about focusing upon what Jesus called in Mark 7, the better part. Making sure that we were following that which is best in our Christian faith and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, prioritizing those things which are most needful. And that message, in, in a sense, was, was timely and relevant as, as we walk through the nature of what happened in 2020, it has been, it had been quite a year, hadn't it? Um, we saw great distresses within the year. Um, perhaps not great distresses in a sense, distresses of sorts. A virus, um, which is certainly worse than normal as far as contagiousness, but nothing as it would relate to the pandemics of history. Um, The government's response to the virus, which was certainly much worse, disabling the ability of honest men to support their families in the name of taking uh, control. Faith in the institutions of this once great republic have eroded in this year in a way that we've perhaps not seen since the 70s. And all of this has inspired many thoughts and questions of the practical. We sang in our uh, song, Constantly abiding this morning, talked for just a brief moment about that idea of us living in these temples of clay on the Lord's footstool being this earth, roaming upon this time until the time that God takes us to our heavenly home. And yet questions of the practical, questions about this temple of clay and about this footstool upon which we roam have been prevalent perhaps in our minds quite a bit. Even thinking toward, am I ready? Am I prepared? for difficulties of a temporal and material sort? How prepared can I be for things which no one can anticipate or perhaps of which no one can prepare, unique illnesses and such? What steps should I go through to be more prepared in the future? And I would imagine to one degree or another we've all taken steps to fortify ourselves against measures of future uncertainty. And this is wisdom that we would position ourselves to be prepared for what we can and then leave the rest to God. But a very important part of preparation of this sort is to be putting our time, effort, and money where it'll do the most good, right? If we're going to prepare for the things that are ahead, we're going to do so in a manner which is in line with wisdom. I can be prepared for keeping my cell phone battery charged, but that isn't any good to me if the cell towers are down, right? I can be prepared to filter water, but that's not very good if I have no means by which to store the water I'm filtering. And so you have to think on multiple layers and to put your money, your effort, where it will do the best good if I am going to be functionally prepared for things that I might not otherwise foresee. We think through problems. We pursue solutions in accordance with wisdom, putting these these efforts into those things that will do the most good. And it is this sort of an idea that I would like for us to think about as it relates to the spiritual this morning. Everyone is at a different place in your spiritual walk. You have a different outlook. You have different understandings. You have different gifts within the body of Christ. But if you have accepted the good news of salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and we're going to start there this morning in a few minutes, but if you have done that, then you and I are walking in the same direction, right? We share the same destination, which means that we should be able to lay down a measure of 
principled wisdom in regard to the kinds of things that should matter most to us and the kinds of ways that we should in any given time, in any given place, be generally prepared for or the ways in which we can generally be spiritually prepared for whatever life might throw at us. And I want to give some thoughts on that this morning. By no means a comprehensive message. Most of these aren't unless you find me doing a series uh, like the topical series I'll be, ge be beginning next week. It's going to be significantly more comprehensive in nature. Uh, but this is just kind of a one-off message intended to give you some things to think about as it relates to spiritual preparation and hopefully take some of the ways in which maybe your, your fears, your concerns, your, your interests in this past year in relation to the material and the physical can bridge a gap a, um, a relational gap so that as you walk away today, you're thinking, yeah, I've done all of these things to prepare for the possibility of material or temporal problems, but am I prepared for what spiritually might be asked of me in 2021? Am I, have I committed the time, the effort, and the resources? Have I put them in the right place to be ready spiritually for what God may ask of me, for what Satan may lay on my plate in this next year. And the first thing that we have to really, I mean, they aren't necessarily ordered, but this one is ordered. We have to be prepared for eternal life, right? This is the most basic and essential element related to spiritual preparation. There's a God in heaven who is absolutely holy, but he is also absolutely full of love. And humans are not holy, but by birth and by choice, we have walked down a path of sinfulness and rebellion against the will of God. And a holy God cannot have fellowship with sinful men. So we are separated from God's love by birth and by choice. And this separation has been evident, particularly in this year, in a way that our society has perhaps acted, reacted, we have seen this separation, the separation of man from God in a way that in other years maybe we, we haven't seen it in some time at least. The separation from God whereby there is hopelessness, confusion, despair, separation that leaves men in a pit of sorrow and of fear, a separation which instills men to maintain their rebellion and their evil while simultaneously living in, in, in despair and in sorrow. And the Bible calls this condition death. Death is a word which simply means separation. When we think of death, of course, we think of the separation of the body from the spirit, as we've talked about many times. But when the Bible speaks of death, it doesn't just speak of the separation of the body from the spirit. It can speak of the separation of man's spirit from the life of God. And where man's spirit is not connected to the life of God, that spirit is dead. This is death. And man was never created. If we believe what Genesis 1 through 3 tells us, man was never created to live this way, to live separated from his creator. So much so that as Jesus presented the concept outside of a relationship with God, man is not even truly living. So that 1 John chapter 5, verses 11, 12 says, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Man was never designed to face the fears and the sorrows of death and loss and pain. These things were introduced not by God, but by sin. 
when Adam partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by sin, by man came sin, and by sin came death. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his Son, Jesus, to this earth. Sometimes um, we, we consider this more. Sometimes we consider this less. We just came out of a season where we consider it more, the Christmas season. We recognize that Jesus came to this earth as a man, God in flesh, lived a perfect life, called people unto a renewal of the message that had been of old. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and might and love thy neighbor as thyself. And he added something new, however, this time around, something that wasn't there before. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. The new thing was this revelation that in myself, I can't love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my might. And in myself, I will not love my neighbor as myself. I need something external to come in and to change me from the inside out, to give me the capacity to do, for my, for, to do outside of me what I cannot do myself. I need Christ. And Jesus came to show us that way through himself unto life. And not only life, but as Jesus would say it, life more abundantly. And this is the offer. So John 3, 36 tells us, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is the ultimate step in spiritual preparation. I don't, I, I, and, and don't take that the wrong way. It's not the end, it's the beginning. It's the first step, not the last step. But it's the big one. That joy and contentment longed for among all men, but ever out of reach in this life. This unsaid universal understanding that there is something missing from the human experience as understood through the lens of our senses. It is found in the blessed reality that Jesus Christ came to this earth to die that you might experience life. The kind of thing that God designed you to live. And all who receive that gift of salvation, all who follow him shall not come into condemnation, but be passed from death into life. When John the Baptist was paving the way for Jesus' ministry, there was a day when he was speaking to the hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees, and he called them a generation of vipers because they were living externally the way, they, the, the, the way that would, would lend itself unto morality and of righteousness, but inside they were absolutely carnal. And he asked them in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Calling these men and with them all men to repent of their dead works and put their faith in God. To prepare for eternity. To flee from the death into which we are born and to flee to the life that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you have never come to that point in your life, 
then that's step number one. You can't live life more abundantly before you have life. You cannot experience all that God has until you are in life. Have you come to that point where you have fled from the wrath that is to come? Where you have run to the cross of Christ that he might break the chains of separation between you and God and usher you into the glorious life of one who is reconciled unto God through the death of his son. The first and foremost step of spiritual preparation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I would imagine that the majority of us have taken that step. The job has just begun once you've taken that step. It is not over. Parents, when your children accept Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, you finally have a canvas upon which you can paint. It's not, the it's not the end. It's only the beginning. The work has just begun. Now what do we do? Be prepared for eternal life. Second, be prepared for testimony. When at once you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Christian, you have a job to do. You have been transformed by the power of God through his Holy Spirit into a new creation, a new creature. You are no longer a citizen of this world, but passing through this world on your way to a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. You still live in this world, but you are not of this world. And you have been given a task to accomplish by your king. It's not about you, Christian. If there's something very important that spiritual preparation, that the word of God, that the principles of the Christian life can lay upon your heart, let it be that simple phrase, it's not about me. Because it's not. The life you live is not about you. You have entered into a relationship with the living God whereby you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ in a land that is not your own. This world is not your home. You do not live for it, and it does not exist to serve you, nor does God exist to serve you. You exist to serve him. You've got a job to do, Christian. And this task is a task of representation. A follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, a part of the body of Christ, an ambassador in a land of, uh, in, uh, uh, an ambassador of a land in which you have never been, but a part of which every single part of you has been designed for. Every single part of you as a new creation in Christ has been designed for a land to which you've never been. That heavenly home, you're fitted for it. You are created into it. You've never been there, but he's gone to prepare a place for you. And if he has gone to prepare a place for you, then he will doubtless come again and receive you unto himself. That where he is there, you may be also, and you're fitted for it. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. It is for you. And it is that land unto which you are called to represent. You now in Christ, by the power of his spirit, have the divine capacity to love God with all of your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is your task. It's not about you, Christian. This is what Jesus meant in John 13 when he said in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Excuse me, uh, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How? If ye have love one to another. Our testimony before the world is rooted in this. Your testimony before the world is not rooted in what you're wearing. 
not rooted in what you're watching. It's not rooted in what you're hearing. It's not rooted in how you're talking. Those things have a part in representation, but your testimony before the world is rooted in this. This abundant life that you have in Christ by which we are loving one another. That in the midst of fear and confusion and anger and despair and longings, the world looks at the church and they see an assembly of men and women of all shapes and sizes with a singular thing which no amount of money or strength or fame can secure. Life. No amount of the unbeliever's money can buy life. No amount of their fame or their power or their might or their connections can buy life. Life comes from one source and one source only, and that's Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are the nine qualities that we call the fruit of the Spirit, and they only come from one place, and that's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life, the one in us whom, if we are abiding, will work these things out in us. By this shall all men know that we are his disciples when we have love one toward another. To love God and love one another is not a new commandment. Jesus says here, a new commandment I give unto you. We see this several times both in Jesus and in the writings in the epistles. He says, I, I write unto you no new commandment, but a new commandment I give unto you. How is it both not a new commandment and a new commandment? We talked about it already. The commandment's the same. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might. Love thy neighbor as thyself. The problem is we couldn't do it. The new part is this. Abide in me. Follow me, Jesus said. And make no mistake, when you're abiding in Christ and you're loving one another as Christ has loved you, externalities will change. You cannot love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and might, and love thy neighbor as thyself while walking in concert with this world. Their, their, their expectations, their, their, um, its, its culture, its design, its, its desires, it, it's incompatible, right? But it is not those, ex those externalities, like, like with sin, the externalities of sin are symptoms of a deeper cause. The fact that man lies, the fact that man cheats, the fact that man steals, that is not the, intrinsically the problem, right? Those are symptoms of the deeper problem, the deeper problem being a sin nature unto which we are bound. The externalities of the Christian life, those are also symptoms of something deeper. They in and of themselves are not the end result, the, uh, or, or the end goal. They are the end result of a goal whereby I live the crucified life. Because it's not about you, Christian. And so we love God, and we love one another. And we live this power of a changed life, the power of a freed conscience, life more abundantly. This is what Jesus brought to us. And this is what we are called to live. The world will not know that you are Christ's followers explicitly by the externals, because anybody can conform to externals. Anybody. Anybody can come in here and put on the clothes, and talk the talk, and walk the walk, and sound the sound, and not watch or watch, and not listen to or listen to, and not say and say, and not do or do. Anybody can do that. But only Christ can give you life. Only life 
becomes a true evidence of the crucified life. The wealth of your knowledge will not convince people that you are his disciple. Anybody can learn facts about the Bible. They help. But it is life in you. It is the fruit of the Spirit in you. It is that that is our testimony. Are you spiritually prepared today to be a testimony to the world? When you step out of these doors, when you interact with the world around you, I'm not, gonna, I'm not asking you what they see externally per se, what they hear externally per se. I'm asking you, do they see someone who is alive, who is living life, who is manifesting the life of Christ, who is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? Are you prepared to do that today? Or do they come across you and you are, you are a person who looks different, sounds different, but you're not different the more they mine, the more they realize you have the same problems, the same angers, resentments, the same bitterness, the same unforgiveness, the same frustrations, the same depressions, the same sorrows. You're just as messed up on the inside as them. You only look different on the outside and you have to do a little bit more religiously on, uh, on certain days of the week. Or do they see a testimony of something different? A changed life. Are you prepared to step into 2021, to step into a world, to step into the church and live life. The kind of thing that Jesus said we can have in him and only in him. You can't get this through anyone else. The Buddha will not give anyone life. Muhammad will not give anyone life. The Dalai Lama will not give anyone life. Our ancestors will not give anyone life. The wise philosophers of days gone by will not give anyone life. And I certainly can't conjure it up in myself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you living life? The testimony of life. And the world will know when we bear fruit. And we will bear fruit as we learned a little while ago from John 15, when we're abiding in Christ. And we abide in Christ by keeping his commandments. And this is his commandment, John 15, verse 12, that ye love one another as I have loved you. As the life which was born in you through Christ overflows out of you, it pours into the life, uh, life of others. You are perhaps prepared to see your family through the hard times of uncertainty in this world, but are you prepared to be a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ in this year? Are you putting the spiritual resources where they will do the most good? Are you harnessing the time and abilities that you have to prepare yourself to bear the fruit of the Spirit to a lost and a dying world, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in the face of the church? Or are you spending your spiritual currency in all the wrong places? Are you stocking up on things which might be nice but have no true bearing on spiritual preparedness so that when the time comes that you don't have the luxury for luxuries any longer, you're actually bankrupt? We talked about this a little bit during the actual lockdown in, in March, April. The one thing that you really couldn't get was toilet paper. If things go bad, toilet paper is not going to be high up on the list of the things we need, folks. It made people feel a whole lot better 
like they were doing something, like they got the, 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 the very scarce commodity that was missing, but it's not going to do anyone much good outside of that if things were really a problem. We can do the same in our spiritual lives, can't we? Are you committing all of your resources to looking good, sounding good, trying to be good, while simultaneously completely ignoring the nature of life? You're so busy trying to be religious, trying to, be, trying to look a part, trying to sound a part, trying to act a part, or trying to conjure up in yourself the things which only Christ can, con can, can create in you, that you're actually ignoring the only thing that can do it, which is Christ? Or are you abiding, putting your spiritual resources into the place where it will actually do good? Abide in Christ. How? Keep his commandments. What? Love one another as I have loved you. Into what are you investing? Are you prepared to be a testimony? And if you're struggling as a believer living out the reality of the life into which God has born you, born you into, it's time to begin asking why. If the reality of your Christian life is not the fruit of the Spirit, there's only two possible reasons why. First, you're not in Christ. You're not a believer. Or second, you're carnal. You're, you're, you're living in sin. You are ignoring the call of the, the Word of God to abide in Christ. You're ignoring the call of the Word of God to keep His commandments. You're ignoring His commandments. Those are the only two possible reasons why you're not bearing fruit. You don't have the Spirit of God or you're quenching or grieving the Spirit of God, right? Because if you're not quenching or grieving the Spirit of God and you have the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God will be manifesting itself in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those things will be happening. Not in perfection, because you're not perfect and I'm not perfect, but they will be bearing fruit in you. And now's the time for us to be thinking about these things. Because things are still relatively easy right now, right? This is the time for us to be thinking through our testimony. This is the time for us to be thinking through spiritual strength. We had some spiritual casualties in 2020. Spiritual casualties to this church. People who were not able to handle the spiritual weight of what 2020 asked of them. Our church is still trying to repair some of those souls. Working on that process, trying, trying to help people back through are you going to be a spiritual casualty? Are you going to be offended, the word is in the scriptures, stumble, because you've been putting your resources not where they do the most good, but where they're, where, where they're not helping? Or are you putting your resources where they are doing the most good? Be prepared for eternal life. Be prepared for testimony. Uh, third, be prepared for suffering. We were just reading in John 15. The chapter presents a very interesting progression in John 15. My, my favorite chapter ch switches from time to time in the Bible. I think John 15 is my favorite right now. Um, 
John 15, verse 17 says this, these things I command you that you love one another. We just read about that, right? This is my commandment, you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, we see that, we understand that. Uh, verse 17 is a reiteration of that great command from verse 12. The command in which if we keep it, we will abide in him. And if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And if we bear much fruit, then we will be Christ's disciples. So shall you be my disciples, right? This is verse eight. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples, John 15, eight. But spiritual preparation is not a fair weather endeavor. As a matter of fact, spiritual preparation is a preparation unto some end. Should the Lord be gracious and we never uh, enter into suffering in this country, it's a spiritual preparation at the very least for what our next point will be rewards. But as a means unto an end, we recognize that the spiritual life is not a life of promised prosperity. Much to the contrary, the light of life that shined into the darkness of death the darkness of death that dominates the systems of this world is a threat to that darkness. The darkness seeks to stifle the light of life at all costs. And this leads to a natural conflict. As a Christian endeavors to love one another and so bear the light of life, living life and life more abundantly, and as we do this thing, living out the life of the love of Christ that Christ has, has shined into our hearts, the world comes to a problem point. See, the world loves, for a time at least, the general fruit of Christianity. Out of Christianity flows kindness, generosity, selflessness. And these are things that the world loves. But you know what the world does not love? The light that leads to that fruit. It cannot abide the testimony of Christianity, which calls people out of the darkness of their own hearts, in which the fleeting and empty pleasures of the world pale in comparison to the joys of the pale in comparison to the joys of the crucified life, and then leading them into the light of life, where they discover the blessed liberty of living for the world that is to come and not the world that is. And why does the world hate this so much? Because when the light shines in the darkness, it exposes their darkness. It, 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 it's not. If, if Christians are living properly, Christians are not condemning the world, but the light that is in them is condemning the world. It is not your place, nor is it mine, to judge the world, to condemn the world. But as we live the light, the world will feel judged. The world will feel condemned. And the reason why is because it's exposing their darkness. They love their sin. They, they want to be kind. They want to be generous. They want to be selfless, but they don't want to give up their sin. And when you live the light, it exposes their sin, and they can't help but see it, and they don't want to see it, so they have to shut down the light. They have to, or they have to come to the light. And this creates a natural conflict because the light is in you, and it's not just in you, it is you, if you're doing it right. Not that you, you are the light, Christ is the light, but it is the very fiber of who you are. Which means in order to shut down the light, they have to shut down the Christian. So we continue in this same chapter, John 15. These things I command you that you love one another. Verse 18, the next verse. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If you were of the world, Christian, the world would love you. Because the world loves its own. The world doesn't care if you're religious or non-religious, as long as you're of the world. The world doesn't care what you look like as long as you're one of them. The world doesn't care what your preferences are as long as you're one of them. But as soon as you're no longer one of them, as soon as you start living for something else, someone else, as soon as you start living for your, the heavenly home, as soon as you start manifesting the light, not just some shade of darkness, you are no longer of the world. And Jesus Christ is the prototype of what the world does to those who are not of the world. If you're living the crucified life, begun when you were created anew in Christ, continued through keeping Christ's commandments to love one another, you are not of this world, you are of the Father, chosen out of this world, the world Christian will hate you. Now, I'm not saying that this world, I'm not saying that, that the people, that your neighbors will hate you. They may not. We live in a very unique society, and because of that, Christians have seen a blessed small amount of persecution, and that's a wonderful thing. We should not go looking for persecution. We should not become odious to people to try to conjure up persecution. We should not throw ourselves into people's faces in order to get them to hate us. None of this. That's not, that's not the Christian life. But the world, which 1 John says is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and those who are sold out to that system will hate you. And the temptation, then, is to hate them that hate us. Well, if you're going to hate me, I'm going to hate you back. To put up our defenses, to fight tooth and nail for our self-preservation. But this is not what the Christian does. When the darkness seeks to envelop, the world desire is to watch your Christian testimony crumble under the weight of their evil. When they see you use fire to fight fire, when they see you compromise your testimony in order to fight them, they're fine with that. They've won. You have snuffed out your own light. Mission accomplished. Sure, they may lose some battles on the external because you fought back, but they've also won because you've snuffed out your light, because you're, you're no longer living the crucified life. It's about you now. And remember, it's not about you, Christian. And the minute you make it about you, that light goes under a bushel, and the world is fine. The world is satiated. The world is, is, is the world, the devil. Temptation may go away. The world will leave you alone because you've put your light under a bushel because you're no longer effective. They're satisfied. To fight fire with fire is to give up the very thing which makes you distinct, to give up your testimony. So, Christian, are you prepared to love your enemy when persecution comes? So that the more the world hates you, the more you live out Christ's love. Jesus continued, 
We read through the end of John 15. He continued in John 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. Jesus told the disciples these things so that when the difficulties came, Christian, when the systems of this world rage against the children of the world that is to come, Jesus says, I'm telling you this now so that you don't stumble and fall. I'm telling you this now so that you're ready, so that you're prepared, because when the day comes, there will be casualties. When the day comes that true persecution hits this land, I don't know if it's going to be sooner or later. I pray that my children and my children's children do not have to go through it. I pray that, that they can live as I have lived to this point in my life, free to tell people what I believe, free to live out my convictions, free to do what, what I would desire to do before the Lord in good conscience without fear of reprisal. I pray that that's the case. But if it is not, are you prepared or will you be offended? Will you snuff out your own light for, some, for the sake of some self-gratification or, or self-preservation? Are we ready for that which is to come? Jesus desired that his disciples would be prepared in heart and mind, that they would count the cost and reckon that to walk the path of a follower of Jesus Christ is to walk a path that fundamentally contradicts the direction of the kingdoms of this world. And when at once your path gets in the way of the path of the world, as long as your path is not in their way, fine. But at one, when at once your path gets in the way of their path, they will take you out of the way. And they have all the power to do it because theirs is the power of this world. Are we ready if that day should come? Are we prepared? Are we preparing our children if that day should come for them? There will be no suffering if we are not transformed and living children as children of the, of, of the living God. There will be no suffering if we choose rather to hide our light under a bushel rather than put it on a candlestick. But if we are following the path that Christ trod, they hated him, they'll hate us. They persecuted him, they'll persecute us. If we have taken up our cross to follow him, then know this, Christian, the world will only abide so much and for so long. We've been blessed in this country to have freedom to live out our testimony of Christ without fear. As I said, by God's grace, this blessing will continue. As I said, do not go out looking for trouble. This is not the call. But if it should come, are you ready? Or will you be offended? Will you be one of the spiritual casualties of the weight of these attacks? Or will you prevail through Christ? One final preparation. First, be prepared for eternal life. Are you a believer? Be prepared for testimony. Are you living out that light? Third, be prepared for suffering. Do you understand what the implications of living out that light mean when that light comes into fundamental contradiction with the world in which we are living? And it will. Fourth, and finally, be prepared for eternal reward. This is the, the, the culmination of all of these. If you're prepared for the other three, you've got this one. This, one, this one's just the end result of the other three, uh, of success in the other three. One of the amazing things about the Bible as the revelation of God to man is that we find this record that God has gone out of his way 
to reveal himself to us. God is not hiding in the highest mountains. He's not hiding in the deepest seas. We don't have to trek to the farthest jungles to find him. We don't have to go through great trials and feats of strength to be worthy of him. God is very nigh unto us. In fact, not only is he nearby, but it's not just that I'm walking and God is there. God is calling. He is reaching. He is seeking. He is doing everything he can to bring us to himself. So far has God gone that he has sent his only begotten son to be the reconciliation of the world to him. Now, God has chosen to leave certain elements of himself a mystery. But God himself is not a mystery, is he? God has not only made himself known unto us through his salvation, he has made known unto us everything we need to live life in such a way as to enter into the next with abundant reward. Psalm 34, 12 through 15. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes, uh, the eyes of the Lord excuse me, are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Of course, Peter quotes this. The formula is simple, though not necessarily easy. It comes back to this idea that it's not about you, Christian. Love God, love thy neighbor as thyself. Depart from evil and do good. We've already talked about what this looks like. Not self-righteousness, not you conjuring up in yourself the capacity to live out some moral expectation that you or your church or your pastor or your parent, whoever is set for you, this looks like conforming and yielding to Christ and seeing Christ bear the fruit of the Spirit in you. We depart from evil, we do good, we pursue peace. We set aside self. We live into the light of life of the person of Jesus Christ. We purge ourselves from the world and all that is therein. We live and we live more abundantly. And here's what we find. And you will find it, Christian. Joy. Even in times of hardship, because we have life and true life is joy. You'll find peace even in times of turmoil and fear because we have life and true life is peaceful. We have love even in times where we're surrounded by hate because we have life and true life is love. But like with anything in life, these things don't happen by accident, Christian. You're not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden everything's going to be flowers. These are for those who will trust and obey. They're deliberate steps of selfless obedience, submission to the will of the Father. Recognizing that in obedience, in submission, when I yield, when I give in to God, that's when I win. And the question for us today is, are you spiritually preparing to live this life with an eye toward the life that is to come? Are you in the faith? First question, are you in the faith? Have you accepted the springs of living water? Are they bubbling up in you unto eternal life by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Are you in the faith? Don't take that question for granted, Christian. I'm not trying to plant doubts, but don't take that question for granted, listener. Christian, you can take it for granted. <laughs> Listener, don't take it for granted. Are you in the faith?
Have you accepted Christ or are you playing the game? Second, are you prepared to be a testimony? Are you investing your spiritual capital where it will do the most good to accomplish this great command, love one another as I have loved you? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you living out that submitted life? Is life about you or is life about Christ? Are you prepared for the possibility of suffering? Knowing that as you live in this world, as a citizen of the world that is to come, a heavenly country, you will come into natural conflict with the direction of the world around you. Again, that may not mean your neighbors. That may not mean our government. But when you look, and it's obvious today, when you look at the direction of the world, the way the flow of the world is flowing, and it's always been this way. Sometimes it's easier to see, other times it's not. But when you look at the flow of this world, you know that that's the opposite of, of the flow of Christ, right? You can see it. It's obvious. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that, 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 that's the direction of the world. That's the direction of culture. That's the direction of society. Even in good days, even in days when things are more moral, that's still the direction. It's the inevitable direction of society. It's the inevitable direction of an unbelieving world. They can't go in any other direction. They are children of their father, the father of lies. And if you're a child of the living God, then you love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And as James says, to love the world is enmity with God. You can't have them both. No man can serve two masters. For either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, Christian. And so what do we do? We lay up treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Why? Because as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you prepared, Christian? Are you thus preparing yourself to earn rewards? Ready to set yourself aside for the promises of God? It's not about you, Christian. To earn the rewards of the life that is to come. Do you see it? Can you see with those eyes? These physical eyes, we see these chairs, we see this pulpit, we see the lights, we see these things, we see this technology, we see everything that would appeal to the things. But do you, do you have those spiritual eyes to see that heavenly kingdom, the promises that are therein, the opportunities that we have now to build up that treasure, to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are you preparing? I have no idea what 2021 is going to bring. I don't know how prepared I am material or, materially or physically for what lies ahead, but I have done a measure of due diligence to be ready. I'd imagine you have as well. Can you say the same about your spiritual life? You've taken an inventory of how much food you have in the house, how much gasoline you have. You've made sure your generator's working. You've stocked up on toilet paper. You've done all of these things, right? You're ready. But you've taken that inventory. You've written the list. You've done the things that you can to be ready 
for, for whatever 2021 might ask of you physically, to prepare your family, have you taken that same, have you written down a spiritual list? What are the weaknesses in my own heart? What are the chinks in my family's armor where there could be a spiritual attack that could completely collapse the system in 2021? Am I ready? What am I ready for? Now, now, being ready, being prepared does not mean that you, you think you're ready. What I mean is this. God has not given me the grace to suffer persecution yet. He'll give me that grace when that time comes. But are you ready in heart and in mind that when that time comes, you will stand with Christ? God will give you the grace. Are you prepared in heart? Can we say that we're investing in the spiritual things that matter, putting our, our effort where it'll do the best good? Are we working for that which matters unto the life that is to come? Do others see our good works that they may through us glorify our Father which is in heaven? Are we living that testimony? Do you have life? Not just, not, not, not just have you accepted Christ, but are you living in that abundant life? Or is, or, or, or is, it, is it not looking good right now? Twenty twenty was hard on a lot of Christians for any number of reasons. Some of those, no doubt, you know, physical reasons. Some of those, emotional reasons. Some of those, spiritual reasons. Some Christians were offended in twenty twenty because the burdens of this world and of the temptations of Satan hit them harder than usual, and they did not have the spiritual armor to deal with it. By God's grace, 2021 will be an easier time. But don't count on it. If you barely scraped through your spiritual walk in 2020, 2021 presents a spiritual danger to you. And now's the time. When you meet the enemy, it's too late to train. It's too late to go get your armor on. Now's the time. We're going to talk about that over the next several weeks. But now's the time, Christian. You're a child of the King if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, come join us. Enter into life. By grace, through faith, make the choice. Accept the gift. It's there for you. Whoever is thirsty, Jesus said, let him come and take of the waters of life freely. But if you've taken of those waters... If you're in Christ, you're a child of the King. You're born into eternal life by no merit of your own, by no effort of your own. You didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can do nothing to keep it. But by God's grace and through his power, you can, if you will trust and obey him, walk worthy of it and be spiritually prepared for whatever this next year might ask of us. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for God's people. Help us to be a prepared group of people. Help us to be ready for whatever Satan, the world, the flesh, and the devil might throw at us in 2021. 2020 was a year defined by spiritual darkness. We know that the 
deceits and the minions and the, the, the philosophies of Satan and of this world were pushing strong at the door of culture, strong at the door of hearts, that people are scared, that they are confused, that they are angry. But Father, we know that these things are not of you. For your word tells us that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Your word tells us that the wrath of God, uh, man worketh not the righteousness of God. I ask and pray that by your grace, Legacy Baptist Church would be spiritually prepared for what this year will ask of us that of those who are among us and even those who have been subverted to one degree or another and, and unto which we would desire to bring back and call back, that we would lose none. That instead, these times of difficulty, however minor or major they may be, will strengthen us in you that we would live out the birthright we have in Christ of these fruits of the Spirit unto which you have called us. And may we see 2021 as a year of great spiritual gain. Not for our own sakes, for it's not about us, but for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.